sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Melody Beattie once said, Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, uh, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how can we be truly thankful? And our theme text is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is Thanksgiving week here in America. So in the United States, we're talking about Thanksgiving. And in in the United States, Thanksgiving Day is a day that was originally originally set aside on a national basis to stop the activity of our busy lives and as a nation to thank God for his providence. Now you take that thought, you fast forward a few hundred years, and what do you have? A day set aside for family, friends, food, and football. Being thankful is rarely on the agenda anymore, and being thankful to God specifically borders on political incorrectness. So what about actually living with a grateful heart daily. That is a concept that is far from the collective consciousness of our tech-savvy society today. Now, just because gratitude is not focused on doesn't mean that we as Christians have permission to ignore it. On the contrary, living in appreciation is a Christian requirement. So, how do we take that which is required of us and transform it into that which we seek each and every day. So, folks, we have a lot coming up uh, in this podcast today. Living every day in a state of thanksgiving is really hard, but it's not impossible. Today, we're gonna, we have a guest with us who's going to help us crack the code on how to start walking that road of gratitude. In this podcast, we have five segments, and, and you're going to hear that code being cracked specifically in the third segment. You don't want to miss that. Another thought. How do you find gratitude in your mundane, everyday experiences? You need to know where to look. Stay with us as our guest is going to unlock the hidden strength of Thanksgiving applied daily. You're going to hear some great examples you may not have thought about throughout uh, in, in your life, but you're going to hear them throughout the program today. Another point, a big problem is that most of us give up on gratitude when life goes sour or when we're maligned or persecuted. Today, today we uncover the secrets of not only finding but applying the power of thankfulness to combat these life-upsetting events. And yes, our guest is the one who's bringing this all to us. 
You might think, boy, this guy's got all the answers, and pretty much it's pretty close. <laughs> you may have heard versions of this before, but just wait and see how we approach this. But first, there are many pieces to the puzzle of gratitude, and as with anything worthwhile, you need to have a strong foundation upon which to build. We're going to talk about that, where to find that foundation, what to do to secure it, but to get started, we have to introduce you to our guest. We have with us again Todd Alexander. Todd, good evening. Hey, Rick and Jonathan, it's great to be with you again. And Todd, who are you? We've had you on many times before, but just for new listeners, tell tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, I live in Columbus, Ohio. I'm married to have two children, two adult children, and I'm an ad agency uh, salesperson, executive. I'm also the president of international training for the Israel Leadership Institute. And um, one of my specialties as a Christian minister is sensory branding. It's one of the things I've translated from my business world to my ministry world, and that is the idea that that we can create a sensory environment where people can get excited. And I think that's what God's done with us, with the human body, uh, with our mind, with our heart, and with the word that he's written in the scriptures. Okay, that's an unusual thing. Uh, sensory branding, that's not something you hear every day. Hey, what do you do? Hey, I'm a sensory branding expert. Oh, really? <laughs> well, Rick, Starbucks perfected that. Okay. With the, with the smells, the tastes, the environment, everything. Okay, so you're taking that to a level uh, within the life of a Christian. So, And really, the, the subject of gratitude has a lot to do with that. And as we will develop this, we're going to see that sensory branding, if you will, come through in how to have gratitude in every part of your life. So, so Todd, let's get started. How, how would you define thankfulness? Right, you know, let's, right foundational beginning here. That's a great question. I think in the scriptures, thankfulness is all about letting God answer our needs in our private story. All right. Now, let's just pause right there. Letting God answer our needs. That sounds great. That sounds normal in our private story. What do you mean by private story? Well, as the world rushes on, we have, an, uh, we have a desire to serve and please our Heavenly Father and follow Jesus Christ. And we can see examples of this in the Bible. For instance, Jesus's private story was that he was going to give his life for the life of the world. No one knew this about Jesus. It was his private story. Uh, Daniel, the prophet Daniel's private story, was to serve his heavenly father in a foreign land. And God opened up rich, deep, rich secrets, even pointed to the first advent of Jesus Christ. The, the, the secret story is to let God take control of our thoughts, our opinions, and our worries. All right, so the private story then is the part of you that others may not just generally and easily see, but it's sort of the driving force within you. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes, and the only way we see each other's private story is through Christian fellowship. And that, that's you know that's a whole different subject, but the idea of real, true fellowship is not getting together on a Sunday saying, "Hey, how are you? You know, did you have a good week?" That's yes. not what you're talking about. Right. You're talking about getting down to what makes you you, and that's what you're so, – so then thankfulness is all about letting God answer our needs in that internal driven part of you that makes you actually be the person you are, the called out one if you're a Christian. And this was the promise of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, Rick, thankfulness is really – if you looked at it as an equation, it's, the, uh, it's humility plus faith. Thankfulness equals humility plus, plus faith in our past and in our future, being under God's care. 
And I'd throw the present in there as well, I think. <laughs> well, you can. the present is a gift. <laughs> okay, so humility plus faith in our past and in our future equals thankfulness. Amen. Humility plus faith in our past and in our future. Okay, I, I would have to, I think, absorb that a little bit. Um, but, but so real, true thankfulness, now you're speaking from a Christian standpoint, then you're saying comes from the ability to let things go so you can be humble and the ability to have faith to draw something else in, uh, essentially replacing the pride that was there, I think. Yes. Okay, all right, good. All right, so so we've got thankfulness is letting God answer our needs. Humility plus faith equals thankfulness. A lot of times we think about thankfulness and we think about being happy. Happiness and thankfulness, are they the same? Are they different? Are they related? Are they not related? What, what's the difference? How is thankfulness different than happiness? I think uh, the difference is faith. I, I, I don't think you have to have faith to be happy. Uh, I think there's lots of people without faith in God that are very happy. And it has to do when their interests and values are in alignment. And I think that uh, when when the things that we're interested in match our values, then our human body works with integrity and it gives us peace in our secret life, our private life, in our public life. And that peace leads to happiness. Okay, so happiness is interest plus values being in alignment. Interests yes. and values in alignment. And it's interesting yeah. because, you know, I, I was reading your notes and saw that and I thought, you know, it's interesting because exhilaration and excitement can have a sense of happiness, but sometimes the values are not in alignment with exhilaration or excitement. And so right. it doesn't it doesn't end up as happiness. It sometimes end up, ends up as depression because that exhilaration is this emotion that rises far beyond and then tends to crash because it's something is out of alignment somewhere along the way. Yeah, a perfect example of this, Rick, is in our children's education. When they uh, pursue vocations that align with their values, then they can be truly setting themselves up for a, a life of happiness. Okay, so we've got thankfulness is humility plus faith in our past and our future. Happiness is interests plus values in alignment. And mindfulness. You had some a note here on mindfulness. Mindfulness. What what is mindfulness? Well, I think humility is a key part of mindfulness. Mindfulness and uh, mindfulness is humility plus hope. I'm defining it as humility plus hope. Hope in the future. You don't have to have faith to practice good mindfulness. And so mindfulness is simply thinking things through, being present in the things that are around you. Right. Okay, Let, let's let's pause here for a moment. Let's go to a soundbite. We're going to come back to Lisa Nichols a few times throughout the podcast, how to practice gratitude during difficult times. This woman now is, is not a Christian, but she has got some tremendous fundamentals in looking at uh, thankfulness and gratitude in daily life. So let, let's get started with Lisa Nichols. The last question you ever want to ask is why me? Because you might just get the answer why you. The quality of your answer is determined by the quality of your question. Ask a more empowering question. When you're going through something difficult, don't ever ask why me. Here are the questions you want to ask. You might want to write these down. What character, what part of my characteristic is being strengthened in this moment, in this situation? Another question. What lesson am I supposed to learn 
while I'm going through this challenge? What lesson am I supposed to learn? You want to give yourself permission to be pulled through the experience. And, and you know, she, she's applying some very Christian principles in that, Todd, and, and you know, by talking about asking the right questions, and you are a big one on asking the right questions. We've actually did an entire podcast with you on the questions that Jesus asked. Yes. Uh, and and, it, and it, the kinds of questions you ask really do determine the kinds of answers that you get. So, yeah. so, so let, let, let's drive forward here. You're basing thankfulness on something that I never would have connected. You're basing thankfulness for this podcast on the Beatitudes. Why are the Beatitudes so important to us as Christians? And then we're going to begin to get into these Beatitudes and how they relate to thankfulness. Well, the Beatitudes, Rick, as, as, the, as your listeners might remember, are at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where Jesus delivers some of the most beautiful messages about his kingdom. Now, I believe that the Beatitudes, just as Jesus was setting up the human mind to be ready for the 27 principles of living the kingdom of God, Jesus was setting the stage. He was, he was restarting the human mind with the nine Beatitudes that he delivered. And what he did, he, I believe that the Beatitudes contain the code for the software of thankfulness that has been written on the human heart when God created mankind. The software of thankfulness written on the human heart. So it sounds to me like you're saying thankfulness is programmed into humanity. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I believe that in the image of God, we are created. We know, know about that way back in Genesis. And um, he wrote the software of thankfulness on our heart that Jesus was reminding us about in the Beatitudes. He was activating that software for all who would listen. Okay, so if you look at the Beatitudes as the activation of this pre-programmed response that God built into us, they take on an even greater meaning than they already had. So let's get started. We're going to go through those those nine points, uh, and you called them the thankful nine. And the first one is to maintain a conscious need for God. So Jonathan, our scripture, we're going to start with the first in those Matthew 5 Beatitudes, is Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Todd, it's maintain a conscious need for God, and this is about being poor in spirit. What's the connection between those two? Well, being poor in spirit, what Jesus was speaking about was looking around at the world, the opportunities that were in the world, and seeing that they were uh, ephemeral. In other words, uh, short-lived pleasures of of uh, humanity. Now remember that he started delivering these beatitudes right after he got out of the desert in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And what did Satan do? He tempted him with three things. He tempted him with those three temptations which could be summed up by saying the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And that's what Jesus is saying that blessed are those who are poor in spirit for what? For those three things. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. And that's a level set. It's a mind reboot. You know, and it's interesting because Jesus going through those temptations actually maintained his conscious need for God because in his response to each of those temptations, he went back to Scripture. And he quoted how God would fulfill and take care of whatever his needs were rather than what Satan had to offer. So the first of these thankful nine is to maintain a conscious need for God. Uh, now, yes. in, um, 
in your notes you had you had words like intentions and trusting and looking and asking tie all of those in and we've only got like a two minutes here but let's let's tie those in. well well the idea is that jesus was basically setting us up to be able to understand the 27 principles of christian living that he would um describe in matthews chapter 5 6 and 7 and it in it, it requires pure intention it requires us to trust him it requires us to look for the truth it requires us to ask the right powerful questions, just like the uh, Lisa Nichols uh, soundbite that you played. And um, th- that is one of the things as a young man, as an adolescent, every one of us goes through. It's, it's a coming of age. It is a desire to know and please God. It's a desire to understand the truth. And these are the type of people that Jesus was speaking to on the Mount of Beatitudes. He wasn't going to the temple to speak to the educated people. He was going outside to meet the people where they were in, in all of their troubles, in all of their uncertainties, and all of their worries. And he was delivering this beautiful message, opening up this software code that was written on their heart. Now, the, the point is that we are born with a certain set of hardware, our ability to think, our ability to feel, our body uh, health, and the software that was written on our heart at creation is what Jesus was activating it right here, right now. Okay, so Jonathan, let's go to a scripture, a psalm that really fits that description very well. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So that is pointing us to maintaining that conscious need for God. Blessed are the poor in that self-spirit, because that is where we get gratitude from as a basis, as a foundation. Jonathan, at the end of each segment, at the end of each one of these nine points, that we're going to have what we call a thankful thought. So what's our thankful thought to wrap up this particular segment and maintaining a conscious need for God? Make sure our emotional compass label God as its true north. All right. That's where our needs have to go to. That's what we have to be focused on. So for gratitude to work in our lives, we need to find where it fits personally, not generically. Thankfulness is the awareness of our needs and their fulfillment. How does this change what we do? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. As with any profound life-changing process, the development of gratitude always begins with internal thoughts, intentions, and decisions. It is only after this process is in place that we can actually begin to act in a way that reflects something different. And here's where others can take notice. So we've got this first uh, thankful nine points on the table, having that continuous, uh, maintaining a conscious need for God. Jonathan, uh, a good quote, and then let's move forward. Yes, and Rick, this quote is from Melody Beatty. And it's gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. And my thought on it, Rick, is no matter what our life experiences may be, 
you can always find something positive. Okay. So, and, and, and again, the way we can truly find something positive is having that sense of looking upward and having that conscious need for God. Now let's move to the thankful nine. We're going to go to number two. And Todd, it's walk differently. What's that mean? Walking differently is looking at the choices that the world gives you and deciding that it's not good enough that you're going to follow the principles that are in the scriptures. It's more than that, though. It's actually looking at what the world has to offer and mourning over it, lamenting. You're, You're the ability to see beyond your physical senses to your spiritual senses. Wow, that's a lot there. Okay, Jonathan, what's the scripture for that? Uh, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, Todd, what you just said is walking differently. It's like you're, you know, you're, you're walking to the beat of a different drummer, but you also added a dimension of looking at what you may have previously walked to, and you're saying you mourn that. You are, just explain that a little bit more. Yes. uh, So we see this uh, in our children, perhaps they're in junior high school or in elementary school. Perhaps they are being bullied by other people. The bully is trying to force their narrative on your child. And that's exactly what's happening in this worldly experience that we're having. The world is the bully. The Christian is the child. And the Christian should not settle for this worldly narrative that puts pleasure at the center of our life. I call it pleasure treasure. You know, Rick, it's easy to live in this world as if we don't need God and Jesus. Yeah. We can be invisible to God. And I think this the rich man and Lazarus parable is a good example. The rich man was a self-sufficient rich man that felt that he could live without needing God. You know, and, and that's a, such an important point. Walking differently, it's hard to walk differently in the world in which we live. It is painful, and later on in the podcast, we're going to get to into some practicality on that because when you walk in such a politically incorrect way, people tend to notice and you tend to get ridicule. We'll be dealing with that in great detail later on, so folks, you want to stick around for that. So, so Todd, let's talk about walking differently. Let's develop that a little bit. Uh, you yes. know, developing the proper life values which determine your, your life results. So let's do some comparing Okay. between the Christian, the wisdom that is a Christian we should be seeking, and the okay. worldly wise. You've got several bullet points. You know, let's do the comparison uh, Christian to worldly lies, wise, the first two points here. Okay, so just like Jesus, we, as Christians, we intuit higher truths. Wait, 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 you, you into what? We intuit okay. higher truths. Yes, yeah, so intuit, tell me what that means. There's two ways to collect information, either by experience or through intuition. And we have the word of God in our life that guides us into higher truths. And if we read the scriptures, we understand the scriptures, we are a a spirit begotten child of Jesus Christ, that we can intuit these higher truths. We have faith in a set of absolutes from which life itself is based. Okay. So that's the the Christian side. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just reiterating. So that's the Christian side, having faith in a set of absolutes. Yes. Go ahead. What's the worldly side? Well, the worldly wise believes that all truth is relative. And that is what Jesus was fighting with Satan in the wilderness, that Satan was saying that the that 
truth is relative, that it changes all the time and is different for each person. But the proper Christian intuits truth beyond the grasp of his rational mind. And that's what the Bible provides. It provides the spiritual food. It provides the spiritual medicine. It provides the code to activate the software that was put in our hearts when we are created, where the worldly wise simply wants to be right, to win above all else. Okay, let's pause there for a minute, because you said the proper Christian intuits, you know, finds truth beyond the grasp of the rational mind. So what it kind of reminds me of is, is you're saying that, rationally speaking, as a human being, an imperfect human being, it's really kind of more sensible for me to have truth be what I need it to be in my own personal experience, because others have not had my experience and can't possibly know my experience. So truth is as I interpret it, that's the rational mind. And what yes. you're, you're saying is that to get to absolute truth, you have to go beyond the rationalizing of that mind to see it, to be able to walk differently. Yes, you have to go beyond what you can see with your physical senses to the spiritual world because we are created as both physical and spiritual beings. Okay. All right. So, all right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Instead of wanting, wanting to be right— we should want to be godly righteous. Amen. Brother. You know, instead of wanting to win, we should want to win the battle against ourselves. Yeah, and there's two different forms of um, speech that's used. If the, what, As proper Christians, we should be using truth and wisdom in our speech. The worldly wise will use rhetoric, oh. and rhetoric is a tool of persuasion. And we can see in the scriptures that the Pharisees tried to use rhetoric against Jesus. What did he use against them? The sword of the spirit. He used truth and wisdom. Now, truth and wisdom are tools that are available to us, Rick, that provide meaningful information. Just like Jesus used wisdom and truth, we have it within our grasp. And a thankful life requires us to seek the wisdom and truth from God's word. So let's pause there again. Truth and wisdom versus rhetoric. And rhetoric is an incredibly common very powerful word that's used in our world, especially in the political environment. And Todd, just so you know, we are not political on this program. We never go down that road. But but when you think about it, when you hear one side describing the other side and the other side describing the first side, they both say, well, their rhetoric is. And, you know, it's used in a very negative sense. But essentially, all sides in those wars of politics use rhetoric. And you're saying that's not Christian language. Truth and wisdom are Christian language. You're right. That's what language of the worldly wise. So to walk differently is to not engage in rhetoric. Yes. And frankly, we don't have to be concerned with the politics of man as much as we don't. Our life does not hang in the balance because we believe that God has everything in the palm of his hand and he's prosecuting his plan for the world of mankind. So to be a thankful Christian, that first point was have that consciousness of your need for God all the time, and now it's to walk differently because your conscience says, I need God. Jonathan, Psalm 40, verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. And that's exactly what you're saying. Walk differently walk differently. Jonathan, what's the thankful thought here? Even when we are devastated by loss, our steps can reflect God's grace and love. 
Well, I'd like to introduce our soundbite uh, from our very own CQ contributor, Vicki. And this is her thankful list. And she shares how to be thankful in a very practical way. Let's listen. When I'm feeling unthankful, there is a silly yet very practical exercise I learned long ago from a beautiful Christian woman while discussing the counting of our blessings with children at a Bible camp. She reminded the kids, and myself, to count blessings in a specific way, not in generalities. Here is what may seem to be a silly exercise but has worked for me. Look around and begin naming as specifically as you can all the things we should be grateful for. 1. I'm laying on a bed instead of the floor. 2. I have sheets and blankets on my bed to keep me warm. 3. I have a pillow under my head that is soft and comfortable. 4. I have clothes to wear every day to keep me warm and from being embarrassed. 5. I have a dresser or closet to put my clothes in so they're not just in a heap on the floor. Well, Rick, I love how Vicki started this off. When you're feeling unfaithful, how do you change that mindset? Uh, simple, effective, everyday things, be thankful for them. Yeah, and, and, and she breaks down it, it, things into very simple, simple, simple parts of life. Although I will admit sometimes my clothes end up in a heap on the floor anyway, but hopefully for not too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, now back to Todd's thankful nine. And Todd, number three, be teachable. Yes, be teachable is to have a growth mindset. It's to be able to be just like Vicki said, to look at every opportunity to be blessed and to realize that you are receiving the blessing of God and just to open up your mind's eye to the word of God and to be taught by him. All right, so Jonathan, what's the scripture for be teachable? Again, we're going back to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Okay. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So, uh, Todd, you've got, you say you're saying be teachable. Again, this is one of the steps toward true <coughs> gratefulness, toward thankfulness. Blessed are the gentle. How does gentle and be teachable, how do they fit together? What, what makes them, what makes them work? Well, this word gentle means the meek. It means humble. It means mild. It means gentle. It, it, to give you a metaphor, it's like a tamed horse. It's like when the horse is all worn out, and when we are all worn out, it's the exhausting of all human strength. And um, teachableness is when the fight has gone out of us. We, we see this in examples in many people in the scriptures, including Moses, who God said was the meekest man in all the earth. We have the apostle Peter, who talks about the hidden man of the heart. So we have wonderful examples of people in the scriptures that were taught of God, where all the fight was gone out of them, they became gentle, and they become teachable. And this is the setting that Jesus brings us to when he said, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So blessed are the teachable. So like that horse, the horse, the fight's gone out of that horse, it becomes teachable, and then it becomes an incredible asset to its owner, to its rider. Because yes. now, because the fight has gone out of it, now the fight in it can be directed. Now, you talked about a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. I, I, I need more on that. Well, Carol Dweck wrote a great book on this. And, um, and the, the, the fixed mindset um, and the growth mindset. 
so when we live a life of learning, it's as if we never quite arrive. So when we have a growth mindset, we manifest a life of learning, and it's as if we never quite arrive. And it's a beautiful journey. I've been on it for a long time. And one of the ways to find our purpose is to find the example of these prophets of old, which inspire you. For example, David, Joshua, um, I, Isaiah, uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. All of these people inspire me. Why? Because they were they manifested a growth mindset. And by contrast, the Pharisees manifested a fixed mindset. Okay, all right, that's a good, good. So, so give us some practical examples of the two, because that, that gives you a good picture on what to focus on. Let's get to the practicality of it. Yeah, um, the practicality of my, I have two grandsons, and when I'm trying to teach them something, especially when I'm using my hands to point to something, you know what, sometimes they do, they push my hand out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> because they think they know it all. Yeah. The seven-year-old boy thinks he knows it all. And, he, and to be honest with you, he's pretty sharp. But the idea of not being teachable, he'll have to learn that. It'll be a little more difficult. Uh, and that's sometimes the way we deal with God. We sometimes push the finger of God out of the way where he's trying to sanctify us. He's giving us the blessing of experiences, even difficult experiences mixed with beautiful experiences and we reject sometimes those difficult experiences and we don't learn that lesson so to live a thankful life we have to put that aside and be teachable let's do some comparisons now you got several okay. points here go ahead so a fixed mindset um people believe that they're either born with talent or they're not okay but the uh, individuals with a growth mindset believe that talent comes through effort okay. and individuals with a fixed mindset seek to validate themselves, where individuals with a growth mindset focus on developing themselves. Okay, so so just pause there for a second. Fixed mindset, you either have it or you don't. Growth mindset, you, you put in the effort. Fixed mindset, yes. you're trying to just put a stamp of approval on what is. Growth mindset, you're trying to, to, to develop what is to be better. Go ahead. Yeah, and a perfect example of this is in the Thanksgiving that we're about to celebrate on Thursday – of this week, families come together in thankfulness, and through a growth mindset, they become one. If your families are coming together with a fixed mindset and individuals, they just like to come and argue and throw turkey at drums at each other, they're coming together. Uh, they're not coming together. They're, they're, they have a fixed mindset, and they're not coming together, and we don't want that. So thankfulness requires a growth mindset. A fixed mindset will not a fixed mindset, Rick and Jonathan, will not allow thankfulness to take root. So if we want to be thankful every day, forget just Thursday, but every day, being teachable is a great way to be thankful because you're, to be thankful, your mind has to be opened. To be teachable, your mind has to be opened. Jonathan, a great scripture on this, Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so so Todd, this growth mindset versus fixed mindset, it, what you're describing really is the difference between someone who is willing to be continually learning and someone who thinks that they've learned in, enough and certainly can't learn any more from you or their present experience. Yeah, so often as teenagers... When we grow into adolescence, we want to go on our own hero's journey. <laughs> and and um, you've heard that before. It's a subject of many screenplays and Hollywood movies. But here we have the opportunity to become heroes in the in the sense of in the godly sense. 
in the sense of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus is our hero. He's our mentor. We are his subject. To be thankful, be teachable. Jonathan, what's our thankful thought here? The very act of learning, especially learning Christ-likeness, is cause for gratitude. Just the act of learning. So this journey toward gratitude is already profound as it challenges our everyday habits and tendencies. Walking differently and a focus on learning can bring us a more active level of gratitude. As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. This ladder of thankful living, by definition, gets more challenging as we step up to each and every rung. The next couple of rungs seem to contradict one another, even though they actually are in harmony. This seeming contradiction serves as an important object lesson, and that is living thankfully is full of challenges. There's simply no way to get around that. So we're going to get into an area of potential potential contradiction. Jonathan, great quote to get us started. Yes, this is from Marcus Tilius Cicero. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. All right. Now, Rick, it sounds to me like it's wise, mature, and it leads by example. (laughs) You know, and that's interesting because that's a great way for gratitude. That's how gratitude acts. And for us to be able to uh, grab a hold of gratitude, we want to follow that example. It does. It leads by example. And you'll find if you have gratitude, others around you will begin to have a little bit more. So the next couple of points are about justice. One says, don't settle for less. And the other says, be satisfied with less. So, you know, Tata, again, right ahead of your notes, it sounds like you're talking about out of two sides of your mouth here. So I'm going to say, you know, which is it? Let's get into the first one. Jonathan, what is it? All right. Um, The first one is don't settle for injustice. Yes. And the scripture. And then Todd will go to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay. Todd, don't settle for injustice. Okay. The answer to your question about how these two things seem to contradict each other, uh, this, when we, we, we should not settle for injustice and that has to do with how we act toward other people. Now, when it talks about thirsting and hungering, it uses a metaphor of our human body. And just like our human body, we will never become physically mature if we don't hunger and thirst after food and drink. Just like that sense, we will never become spiritually mature if we are not righteous. And only when we are no longer proud can be we be filled with Jesus' love and enjoy his presence in our daily life. So spiritual growth requires a good appetite. A good appetite for what? A good appetite for righteousness. And that's the idea. We should not settle for injustice in our own characters when we react to other people that are treating us unfairly. Okay, so when you say don't settle for injustice, it has to have the qualifier of 
I should not – let me back up. Rick should never settle for injustice in Rick's own experiences, in his own interpretations of his experiences, and in his own reactions to his experiences. That's really what you're saying. It's a Yeah, very another way to thing. say that is we must not settle for injustice in our own actions, and we must not stoop to the level of our attackers. And we have several great examples of this, Daniel and the lion's den. Okay, he did not settle. He he did not stoop to the level of his attackers. Joseph in prison, he did not stoop to their level. Peter in prison, Paul in prison, Stephen for crying out loud when he was being stoned, he did not stoop to the level of his of his attackers. Okay, so you get these the the sense that things can happen to you, and whether they are just, right, indifferent, or anything else is irrelevant to how you stand and what you stand upon. You cannot stand on anything less than righteousness. And see, to be able to stand in righteousness is directly related to a life of thankfulness because you are seeing your need for God, you are looking upward, you are being teachable, and now you're at a point where you're standing on something big, much bigger and much stronger. Jonathan, Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Okay, Todd, that sounds kind of odd. Everyone's forcing his way into it. The scripture shows how everyone wants God's righteous kingdom, even if they don't know how to define it or where to find it. So just, that's a be- that's a beautiful intro, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he was doing the healing of the of God's kingdom. He was doing the preaching of God's kingdom. It was basically God's kingdom in its, in its incipient and outlined form. And everybody followed him like they were mobbing him. And what they were demonstrating is that they wanted to, to live in God's kingdom, but they didn't know how to define it. They did not know where to find it. And the Pharisees prevented them from going toward it. So, again, to be able to live thankfully daily, we cannot settle for injustice in our own responses. That is not That won't lend itself toward thankfulness. And that really makes sense because when you start to stoop to the level of unrighteousness and bending the truth and rationalization, you know, you lose, there's nothing to be thankful for. We've all done it, Rick, and we yeah. all felt terrible after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got that right. Uh, all right, Jonathan, our thankful thought for don't settle for injustice. To rise to higher heights of equity with others is to reveal Christ in you. Okay. Christ in you is revealed through the higher heights of equity that we decide to build our lives upon. So, Jonathan, before we go any further, uh, Trish has just come in, come in, and uh, apparently you've got a, a comment from the chat board or something? I do. Okay. <laughs> this is a, a comment or question from Bob. It said, could your guest comment on the issue of the problem that it's never enough? And the importance of being thankful for what we have and not complaining about what we don't have. It seems that being <clears throat> insatiable is a common human failing. All right, that's, that's a great question. And Todd, I want to let's hold that question until the next segment because one of the, the, the thoughts there in the next segment is going to be maintain pure intent. And, yes. and I think that'll fit very well. So 
Uh, Trish, I, can you leave that question here with me? We'll, we'll bring that up in the next segment, okay, for that, uh, for, for Bob. So, well, Rick and Todd, let's go back to Lisa Nichols on how to practice gratitude during difficult times. She describes gratitude as an energy. Let's listen. What part of my character, what characteristics am I displaying that's causing me to end up here at broke again? Because it's probably not the first time that you've been in a situation like this. Now, when you look at gratitude, gratitude becomes the doorway. Gratitude becomes the, it becomes the soil for something new to grow. That oftentimes when people go through a challenge, they contract. Well, all you do is increase. Energy grows where energy goes. Energy grows where energy goes. When you contract and you focus on the problem, the energy around the problem grows. The energy, the feeling. Uh, every time you relive the experience that you've had when you don't like the experience or when it's been traumatic, your body relives it again. But if you can move to gratitude, what lesson am I supposed to get? How am I going to be stronger? What does the other side get to look like on my best day? All of a sudden, energy grows where energy goes and then there's just this force and I'm not saying a magical this is not magical sprinkle fairy does potion lotion and wands I am not speaking like that because you need to get up and be in action about transforming your life I, I love that I love that that whole that whole piece um, and Jonathan any comments uh, well I, I love how she said gratitude becomes a doorway or soil for something new to transform your life I mean, that is so positive and, and, and definitely takes you in the right direction. It, it does. And w when you think about a soil, you know, sometimes your life gets soiled and that's it's perfect. It's, <laughs> that's the soil where something can grow from and through. Todd, any comments before we go on to the next thankful night? Yeah, it's a perfect example of how the people want to press into the kingdom of God, but they're not sure where to find it or how to define it. Notice she was very true in everything she said. But she spoke from a worldly perspective, right. which is wonderful. But we have the secret code to activate that software in our heart. And it comes right out of Jesus' words. Absolutely, positively. And see, now that fits in very well as sort of as a precursor to the next piece, especially where she's talking about, you know, difficulties being the soil where things can grow, like you were saying, Jonathan. So what's the, the next thankful nine point? Be satisfied without demanding justice from others. And Rick, the beatitude for that is Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, Todd, the previous one is don't settle for injustice in yourself. The next one is be satisfied without demanding justice from others. Yes, believe, believe it or not, we need to remember that we are under the finger of God. And God will allow good things and bad things to come into our life according to his will. All we have to do is practice the principles of righteousness. And sometimes that might be merciful in not demanding justice from other people. Okay, so I, I want to go back to the soundbite and then get into your, into your points here. Uh, because this is a tough one. Because when, when, when someone does us wrong... The, the, the gut reaction is to want to get back what 
you know, get back. Ours. At that. Yes. Get what's rightfully ours or what yeah. should be rightfully ours. And in yes. accordance with the way things are supposed to be, equity demands this and this and this. And you're saying, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy has a thankfulness translation of be satisfied without demanding justice from others. And when, yes. and when we push our energy toward wanting that's what we think we deserve. What, what, what Lisa Nichols just said is energy grows where energy goes. So if we pour ourselves into the demand, you're saying it's really a, a fruitless spending of yourself. Yeah, it's fruitless and it leads to nowhere. Um, it, um, what we need to do is we need to learn and believe that God gives us what we need, even though we may not receive what we want. We should be actively compassionate. We should be actively merciful. And we can only realize or release his mercy when we experience it. So once we experience mercy from Jesus, we have a responsibility to share it. What did Jesus say? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's our job. So, and see, this is, this is, an, important, this is an important connection because our gratitude then really is focused on we have received a clean slate from because of Jesus sacrifice. We don't deserve the clean slate. The wages of sin, Jonathan, you know the scripture, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that's where our gratitude comes from. And if that's what we've received, Todd, you're saying that's what we absolutely must position ourselves to be able to give others. If we want to use the software of thankfulness, we've got to do it. This is one of the key points. So you're saying then thankfulness will be generated much more readily when we don't, when we relax our demands on those around us. Amen. And uh, we will be more like in the image of God. Whoa. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's getting pretty heavy there, brother. <laughs> yeah. All right, good, good. Really, really, this is a really, really important, important, important point. Titus chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. Jonathan, go ahead. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Todd, what are your comments? Well, it's a powerful, uh, met- some powerful metaphors in here. Um, definitely, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved in various lusts and pleasures. I call that pleasure treasure, which is no treasure at all. But when we receive the kindness of the grace of God, we have the opportunity to be washed and to be renewed and then to spread that light to other people. How? To be satisfied without demanding justice for others. And I think in that testimony, when we can do that, and I've seen it, I've had the opportunity to live it, that when we can see the testimony that is delivered through that experience, it's more powerful than anything you could ever say. You know, and 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 
there's there's a lot to saying that yeah I've lived it I've had that experience where I've had to let go of some things and again to be molded into the character of God look even to have the opportunity to be molded to into the footsteps of Jesus is a cause for gratitude to do the hard things that come with being molded into a footstep follower of Jesus is a cause for gratitude. And this is one of the hard things, because if we are being tested as Christians, we will come across circumstances where we are being pushed and treated unfairly, and we need to respond as Jesus responded. I'm going through one of those experiences right now, and I can tell you it's very, very difficult to practice this idea of being satisfied without demanding justice from others. All right. But it is a Christ-like thing to do. And look, Todd, even if we attempt and we fall down and we get up and we fall down, that's still cause for gratitude. Amen. Because we're working on it. We're working towards it. Next scripture, we're, we're nearly out of time for this segment. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Quick comment on that, Todd, stressing Yes, quick. Uh, the scriptures tell us in Psalm 89, verse 14, that God leads with mercy and truth, and he follows with justice and judgment. So those are the four attributes of God. If we want to be God-like, we should lead with mercy and truth in all of our interactions, and then follow with justice and judgment afterward. Okay, so again, the fifth point on the, of the thankful nine is be satisfied without demanding justice of others. Jonathan, what's our thankful thought for this particular point? To be treated less than justly is opportunity to be given greater grace and blessing. All right, so when we are treated less than justly, let us be thankful for the greater grace and blessing that are attached to such a thing. So, to be a Christian and to have gratitude means that we can no longer be just normal people. Thankful Christian living requires us to have higher standards than others. How do we get this done? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. It is fascinating that developing real gratitude requires us to be accountable to God and especially to others in a much higher way than we would expect them to be accountable to us. This is challenging, and as we are now proclaiming ourselves to be playing by a different, higher set of rules for living. So it's a matter of elevating our game to a place where most people never, ever think about going, but that's where gratitude grows. We have another quote. This time is from Albert Schweitzer. At times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the fire within us. 
And that, uh, go ahead, Jonathan. I, I love this thought, Rick. And it reminds me of my wife when she picks me up when I'm down. And then I can help bring her up when she's in need. And that support system uh, in Christ is, is such a blessing. And, and, you know, what it also does is it reminds us that we all fall. Oh, you know, yes. We all fall and we all get into the in, in, into areas where we really shouldn't go. So the next thankful nine point, Jonathan, is what? Is maintain pure intent. And the beatitude we find is in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay. So, Todd, uh, maintain pure intent. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's, let me just re- reiterate Bob's question from the last segment, because I think it fits very well here, and then we'll get to the rest of your points. He said, comment on the issue of the problem of it's never enough and the importance of being thankful for what we have and not complain about what we don't have. It seems uh, being insatiable is a common human failing. Yes, and a perfect example for Bob is the example of Matthew before he was an apostle. Jesus was walking past his, his tax table. Remember, he was a publican, uh, equated at the same level as sinners in the Jewish culture. And uh, he was basically a Jewish man, but he was working for the Roman as a tax collecting citizen, and um, he maintained pure intent. And that's the answer to Bob's question. As soon as Jesus said, follow me, Matthew left everything and followed Jesus. And that's a big deal because Matthew lived in a favored position uh, uh, apart from his other Jewish friends. And as we read the book of Matthew, we can see what activated his mind. He had pure intent. How do we know that? Because he quoted more prophecies from the Old Testament than all of the other Gospels combined. And there we can get a look-see into Matthew's mind. He had a mind that had pure intent, and when he was approached and by Jesus Christ, who could read his mind, he immediately left everything and followed him. So the answer to Bob's question is to realize that these, this pleasure treasure that's offered by the world, uh, you will never, ever be satisfied but we will be satisfied if we plant our roots by the river of the waters of the truth, and we we in, um, live and breathe by that. And, it's a biological system, Rick. You know, and, and you're right. It is. And the thing to think about is in the society in which we're in where more and more that insatiable desire is planted in us. Yes. If you back away and look at statistically where where people are, suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Why would that be? Because it's never enough. It's never enough. You know, depression is at all time highs. More people are living with depression. Why? Because, uh, you know, some of it, look, some of it is biological for, for many, many people. But for others, depression is brought upon them because they're always living in a, in a state of disappointment because it's never enough. Gratitude says God's grace is more than enough. Amen. And that's and that's exactly what you described about Matthew. Let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through eight, Todd. And then we're going to focus more on on expanding, maintain a pure intent. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Todd. Well, there's a spiritual consciousness that we really need to be able to rise to that level 
of a spiritual consciousness through the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And what is that spiritual consciousness? To realize that we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. It doesn't have anything to do with the works that we do. It has to do with redemption through Jesus's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it's because of the riches of God's grace. And that is exactly adding on to the answer to Bob's question. That's exactly what it is. It's going down to what bought us, what gave us reason for gratitude. And as a Christian, when you ignore what gives you reason for gratitude, you are ignoring your, your, your very core of life. So, so, Todd, let's get to some practical applications of being yes. pure in heart. What does it actually mean? Well, um, one of the most important things for us as Christians is to understand our origin story and to realize where we are on the timeline of our life and the origin of our life, the, our origin story will point us to our purpose in life. And f- for example, we were born into a family. We were raised uh, with an education and value system. Okay. Okay. And- pa- pa- pause right there. Okay, yeah. so you're born into a family. You say, okay, yes. you've got to realize your origin. This is part of the maintaining pure intent, which is part of thankfulness. Well, what if your origin stinks? I mean, what you if, can't choose your family. What if, what, if, what if you were taught all kinds of corrupt things? What if your family had no moral values? You're, look, you're saying look to this toward maintaining pure intent. I'm just going to give you a hard time with, with these points because it's practical, and our lives are not storybook. So... How do we how do we make that not storybook story fit gratitude? I'll give you an example. Go ahead. There is a little girl, and she grew up to become my wife, and she was born into a very difficult experience. And uh, she went outside one night and was on the swing set, probably at about ten years old, looking up to the stars and saying, "God, if you're up there, please reveal yourself to me." And that was her origin story. She was raised in a difficult situation, but she saw the witness of God in the creation of the earth and asked for help. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> yes, 38 years okay. of history. All right, there you go. All so right. it's, go so here's how it plays out. So we're born with a certain set of hardware. That's our human body. We have software that's written on our human heart that Jesus is activating with these thankful nine, the Beatitudes. And uh, then we get get to enter our adult years with a skill set. Perhaps that's the moment where we are called of God. We answer that call. We're cleansed from within according to Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. Then God trains us for a purpose, and he uses our uh, inherent abilities to for the ministry, just like he did for Saul of Tarsus and the Apostle Peter. We live in that purpose. We overcome trial. We gain victory, small and big. And throughout all of those transitions in life, we must maintain pure intent. So, And that's when Jesus will have the opportunity to speak to us and take us to the next level. Okay, so during that process, and I know we don't have a ton of time for this, and I'm probably opening up a can of worms I shouldn't, but here it goes. Uh, you know, you say you're called and you answer the call and you're trained for a purpose. Well, what if along the way you're not really sure of your purpose? You know you love God and you know you want to honor him and praise him, but you you don't feel like you have a special talent or, or, or you know, something something specific. You know, what if in your trials you fall down and, and, and fail a lot? You know, you need, you need to seek out a mentor. Jesus is our mentor, but we need to seek out a righteous mentor that can give us wisdom without prejudice. 
And so in seeking out that righteousness, and when you say a righteous mentor, I'm going to add someone who has that sense of Christ-likeness and is able to guide you along those ways. Look, your life isn't going to necessarily open up in such a way that everything makes absolutely clear, utter, perfect sense. But if you have the direction that comes from the redemption of Jesus, that can help you to say, I want to serve God with that pure heart. And even in our failure, there lies success. Amen. Jonathan, what's our thankful thought here for maintain pure intent? Striving for purity in heart is an acknowledgement that grace covers our actions. So we're never going to be completely pure in heart. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And we're going to try, but we're going to have little, little defects along the way. That's okay. Striving for purity in heart is an acknowledgement that grace is there to cover our actions, even if they're flawed, because we continue to strive, and that's a cause for gratitude. Let's go to our next soundbite. Let's see what else we can glean from Vicky's thankful list. What about the things we take for granted? Let's listen. Six, I have windows in my room to let in the sunshine. Seven, we have heat in our home to warm us in the winter months. Some have air conditioning for the summer months. Eight, we have a shower or bathtub to clean ourselves with running water. Nine, we have warm running water. What a special comfort. Ten, Many of us have parents that work each and every day to support us, or children who give up their busy lives to care for us as parents. And the list goes on. It doesn't take long until we begin to realize how very thankful we should be for things we take for granted each and every day, and thankfulness returns once again. Well, Rick, practice makes perfect, so that thankfulness will return. And I think this is a great way to get out of a slump if we find ourselves in a slump. This will re-energize us to see what's most important. And, and you know, that re-energizing is, you know, in Vicky's list really happens to fall very well with this maintain a pure intent because it's just rehearsing the things that are obvious to be thankful for so that you can get yourself, like you said, re-energized and refocused and stand up and, and try again. Back to the thankful nine, number seven, be a peace promoter. And the beatitude is in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so, Todd, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. You know, there's a big difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And a peacekeeper, we actually did an entire podcast built around this not too, too long ago. So, Todd, I want to put my two cents in on this. A peacekeeper is one who tries to keep everybody calm. Okay, it's all right. And they, you know, they're there to make the compromises so nobody gets out of hand. A peacemaker is going to deal with the hard issues and deal through the hard issues and take the steps that everybody else is afraid to take to actually make peace, not keep things from blowing up. There's a big difference. So yeah, a good definition of what you're talking about is that a, a peacemaker manages things but leads people. Yes. Manage things and lead people. And this is important in our family, our friends, our employees. Um, and what being a peacemaker tells us is that what we say and what we do is very important. 
the way we relate to each other is through our emotions. In fact, our words are laced with emotions. In our communication, uh, our words are only 7% of what the other person hears. And what does that mean? It means that the rest is heard through the emotional brain of the recipient of our words. Now, a um, couple of beautiful examples that I have of being a peacemaker is um, I was in the Baltimore airport recently with my wife and daughter just a couple of weeks ago. And I said, follow me. And I took him over to meet one of my friends who has to happens to own the, the sushi restaurant there. And he was such a beautiful soul. Uh, and he warmed up to my wife and daughter. He actually gave us about $10 worth of green tea. He offered for me to drive his car whenever I'm in Baltimore. He says it's just in the garage collecting dust. So that's the opportunity to be a peacemaker. He, there was no controversy, but he was showing that he's a warm, gentle human being that loves me and is willing to extend that love to my wife and daughter. Rick and Jonathan, that's a peacemaker. There you go. All right. So, so you, you, you talked in, in your notes about building equity in our relationships. What does that mean and, 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 and relate that to peacemaking? Well, there's an emotional bank account that we keep with everybody. And uh, we relate to people through our emotional bank account. And um, uh, a perfect example of this is the brand Life is Good. Bert and Johnny Jacobs started this brand Life is Good in Boston. And um, their whole life is based upon making, trying to uh, be peace promoters, trying to say we get to do this, we get to do that. Their whole brand is based upon gratitude and optimism, which level sets peace throughout their customer base. So we get to build equity in our relationships. How? By providing a positive balance in the emotional bank account of our friends, our family, and our employees. You know, and, and that means when you have that positive balance, if it's a big enough balance when you need to make a withdrawal, there's something there. If you yes. don't build a positivity, you know, when, when you the need withdrawal something. withdrawal is simply a benefit of the doubt. Right. I'll, I'll take a benefit of the doubt. There you go. There you go. And and if there is no no balance, there is no benefit of the doubt. And so when something is even off a little, you know, yeah. peace does not <laughs> prevail. All right. Uh, good scripture on this, Jonathan. Godly wisdom is necessary to become a peacemaker, a peace promoter. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. We're just going to take it in a few quick pieces, and then, Todd, you can comment once we get through it. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. And, Todd, that was the example you just showed us, deeds in gentleness of wisdom. Jonathan, go ahead. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And Todd, that reminds me of what you talked about earlier, uh, worldly wise versus godly wise, and the, and the tremendous differences in the sources and therefore in the gratitude. And Jonathan, finish up the text. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, Todd? Um, I, uh, I think that this is one of the most powerful levers that we have to pull in our life of Christ. We have the opportunity to 
put emotional value into the bank account of all of our friends and families. And it is um, uh, much easier to live a life of gratitude when we fill the emotional bank account of our family and friends. You know, and, and I like the way the scripture ends. The seed whose fruit is righteousness, that seed is sown in peace by those who make peace. And when we are of that mindset, it is cause for gratitude because that's what Jesus did. Jonathan, what's our thankful thought here? One of the primary results of the act of peacemaking is gratitude. And it's interesting. Even if peacemaking doesn't result in absolute peace, the true effort still brings gratitude because you know that somebody really tried hard. And there's that, that gratitude goes a long way. And look, that's the way Jesus lived. That's what he stood for. So the gratitude journey has brought us to peacemaking. Can't we just kind of stop here and enjoy this? So far, building gratitude has been challenging. Now, what about having it when others don't like you? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. Inevitably, the conversation had to go down to this road of difficulty. We have seen thankfulness work its way into all areas of our daily lives, and now we need to see how it fits when we are being maligned or misunderstood. If we can get this part right, we can truly live thankful lives. So this is really, really, really where the rubber meets the road, getting it right when we are being misunderstood or maligned. Uh, Jonathan... Let's get started with yet another quote. That's right. And this quote comes from John F. Kennedy. As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. And Rick, he's describing deep, sincere gratitude, not lip service. Absolutely. Absolutely. Todd, uh, you describe the thankful nine, number eight, as understanding that you will be judged unfairly. Now, the beatitude comes from Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Todd, uh, understand that you'll be judged unfairly. What, Go ahead. One of the perfect examples of this happened the day before Jesus was crucified. And it happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember Peter being the impulsive man that he was, he brought a sword to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus was being threatened by the captain of the, of the guard, Peter drew his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. But what did Jesus do? Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Now, Peter's objective was to protect Jesus, but Jesus's objective was to provide the sacrifice that would take away our sins. But what did Jesus do next? He said, Peter, put away your sword. And then he weaponized a question and he said this to the soldier soldiers that were there to grab him. He said, do you come here to take me as a thief with your swords and staves? 
and the soldiers fell back and they fell down. So this experience was not lost on Peter. He was expecting to protect Jesus, but Jesus showed him that he could protect himself if he wanted to, but Jesus was fully willing and able to be judged unfairly. And this example of Jesus spurred the Apostle Peter to a powerful ministry. You know, and the the amazing thing is that example, that was the opening of the door of a night of him being judged unfairly again and again and again and being tormented and tortured unfairly again and again and again. And, you know, you could you could have been going through that night and you could have been Peter witnessing these things from afar saying, I should have protected him. But yes. it was not what Jesus was there for. So he showed us there for how to be judged unfairly and to walk the walk that we are now supposed to be trying to walk ourselves. And, you know, and Jesus walked that in gratitude. And, and, and you know, just, just to, to finish that particular uh, experience, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's sweating these great drops of blood, his 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 conclusion was before all of this nevertheless not my will but thy will be done that is a prayer of gratitude that's what that is gratitude under great duress and then it all came out upon him for us jonathan first corinthians 4 9 for i think that god hath set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death for we were made spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men todd I think that the Apostle Paul is telling us that we are living in a scientific laboratory where we are a spectacle to men and angels. People are watching us. They're observing us. And just like Peter learned from Jesus, people can learn from us. If we practice the principles of righteousness, if we maintain a conscious need for God, if we find the satisfaction to our story in the word of God and what happens in a laboratory well, the good thing is that things grow, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to grow. Rick and Jonathan, we're going to grow because we are thankful, and that software of thankfulness is activated by Jesus. So being thankful then, I mean, we're, we, we're, we've come, we're close now. We're almost 80 minutes into a 90-minute podcast, and being thankful every step of the way has not been an emotion. It has not been just this momentary realization of, oh, it's something to be thankful for. It has been a life-changing work that we've had to engage in. Jonathan, did you have a, a thought there? No. Oh, okay. No, I thought you were, you were waving at me. Maybe you were just saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So go ahead, Todd. So we have an example of this in the parable of the sower. And uh, what is the parable of the sower? Well, the parable of the sower states that Satan came and he sowed the bad seed after the good seed was sown. And what does that tell us? Well, the good seed is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bad seed is the gospel of the world. And um, or actually, it's not the gospel of the world. It's the worldly wise. But what does that parable tell us is that spiritual warfare is guaranteed. So get ready. Get your mindset straight and Get that proper software activated. And, and again, be thankful. And Jonathan, let's drop in on that parable just for a couple of verses. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. 
But he that received the seed into a stony place, the same as he that heareth the word, and Anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doreth for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Okay, so that's what you're talking about, Todd. Spiritual warfare is guaranteed. When tribulation and persecution arise, you have to be ready. And, and yes. you know, fair-weather Christianity doesn't hold up with gratitude when there's warfare about. It just doesn't. We, and it's going to be hard. And my advice is for everybody is duck. <laughs> duck. <laughs> okay, Second Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so to be persecuted is to be pursued, is to be, is to be followed after. And, and, and the idea is not to be necessarily caused physical pain, but to be sort of chased down. It could be emotionally, it can be verbally, it can be physically, it even can be spiritually. Todd, thoughts on that? Yeah, and, and all of these are allowed by Jesus Christ. They're orchestrated by God. They're, he's pulling the levers and he give us giving us experiences so that we may develop into righteousness, that we might use this software that's written on our heart, that we might intentionally activate it in our desire to become like Jesus. And, you know, you had in your notes something about the definition of the word will. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just yes. a quick thought on that. Well, the Apostle Paul is the poster child of that. And uh, he was the one that was persecuting the Christians, and it came back on him, and he saw it as the opportunity for him to suffer for righteousness' sake because he was misdirected himself <coughs> once. And I think that's the blessing of being converted and re receiving the redemption through the blood of Jesus. We can look back by our own experience and project it into the lives of others and bless them because of it. Okay, so we can look back on our own experience, even if it was bad, and use it as a cause for thankfulness to move forward because we have learned or are learning from it. So, Jonathan, what's our thankful thought for understand that you will be judged unfairly? Well, whatever unfair judgment may come our way, Jesus experienced it first. And boy, that's a relief, because no matter what happens in our lives, it will not match what our Lord went through. It will not match the ignominy of being the Son of God and being tried unfairly, tormented and tortured unfairly, and then crucified as a blasphemer of God. You cannot get a more diametrically opposed character and sentence. The two are as far apart as they possibly could be. Jesus went through it first. So when you say, Todd, when you say your advice is duck, I say, yep, duck, and then get up and charge forward because <laughs> that's what we have to do because that's what Jesus did. Amen. One more time, let's go back to Lisa Nichols, how to practice gratitude during difficult times. And she says, I'm grateful, start the journey. Let's listen. But if you can start the journey, start the journey. I'm not saying get up and run, but I am saying if you can lift up your hand and say, I'm grateful that I can hear the words coming out of her mouth right now. I'm grateful that I have the wherewithal 
to even look for something to inspire me. I'm grateful for the opportunity to prove my strength again. I'm grateful for the opportunity to forgive the perceivingly unforgivable. I'm grateful for the opportunity to love the perceivingly unlovable. I'm grateful that even though I don't know how, I don't know when I'm going to get through this. I'm grateful that I know like I know, like I know, like I know. See, you have to have unwavering faith. Rick, I love forgive the perceivable unforgivable. Love the perceivable unlovable. We can go through this situation or this trial or this experience with gratitude. And, and you know, that's interesting because we're in the middle of saying, understand you'll be judged unfairly. And you're saying, love those that we perceive to be unlovable. And it's, Love it, your enemies. You know, Jesus died for them, incidentally. So there yes. you have it. Next one, Jonathan. Okay. Uh, yes, Todd, our last uh, thankful nine, number nine, understand that you will be given a bad name. The beatitude comes from Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Todd, go ahead. A bad name. How so? <laughs> yeah, well, Jesus told us to get, get ready and, and brace yourself and there are four ways to um, respond to persecution. And uh, Jesus taught them one of them, but there are three others. The, one of them is to retaliate. Two is to be resentful or bitter. The third is to go into depression. But Jesus taught us how to rejoice. And the Apostle Paul taught us how to rejoice. The Apostle Peter taught us how to rejoice when we are given a bad name. And uh, I think that's the secret. We don't need to submit to the world's narrative. We don't need to submit to the bully that's charging at us and trying to uh, change our narrative to their narrative. We should remember to live in the light that we were founded in. So this is interesting because retaliation, resentment or bitterness, and depression are all the natural responses against those who are persecuting us. And remember, to be persecuted is to be pursued. And if we are being pursued because we are righteous, because we're living a life different than they are, it feels like sometimes they deserve to have something bad happen to them. They, des- they you know, I have a right <laughs> to be bitter, you know, and, and I'm depressed because here I am standing for everything that's good and I'm receiving seemingly everything that's bad. And then what you're saying is, but Jesus taught us how to rejoice instead of all of those things. And we see those, those responses that even if we're given a bad name, so was Jesus. He was preparing us to live in the righteous kingdom of God. Absolutely. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Jonathan, actually went 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting or gratified unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men called, carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made a havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Okay, so Todd, just, you know... We're, yeah, we're, this is the example of Stephen who was being stoned to death uh, consented to by the Apostle Paul, and Stephen, by his very actions, 
showed us that he was thankful and he lived a righteous life. He was, he maintained a conscious need for God. He walked differently. He was teachable. He did not settle for injustice. He did not demand justice from others. He maintained pure intent. He was a peace promoter. He was judged unfairly and he was given a bad name. And guess what? He was a witness. The testimony of Stephen's death was one of the important things that brought Saul back to the work of God through the Apostle Paul. So what you're saying is Stephen died a grateful death. He died with thankfulness to be able to suffer for Christ. Now, look, many of us are not going to be able to have that kind of a dramatic end to our lives, but he showed us what it means to be in that position. Jonathan, our thankful thought, and then Todd, just 20 seconds of conclusion. Whatever bad name we are given, we look forward to a new name in heaven. Doesn't matter the bad name now. There's a new name coming. Stephen knew it. Jesus knew it. And Todd, your final thoughts. Rick, we're coming together in a thankful Thanksgiving time of the year where we celebrate Thanksgiving. Let us not forget that our words and our actions are important. Let us make sure that we live a testimony to all of our friends and our family that by maintaining a conscious need for God, to be successful in God's eyes, to not trust the world's narrative, to not be fooled by the rush to be successful in the eyes of others, but to maintain a growth mindset in all humility and look for the gentle leadings of God and Jesus Christ in our life and to be truly thankful for all the gifts that we've been given. Todd, thanks so much. Very, very, very well said. So much to cover here, and it's all about living thankfully each and every day. And folks, this is not easy. This is not simple. This is this takes effort each and every day. But the effort that we put out is given is 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 rewarded with incredible blessing. Sometimes the blessings in trial. Sometimes it's in tribulation and persecution. But that's where the blessing for Jesus was as well. Let us be thankful. Todd, thanks so much. We appreciate your being with us. Thank you, Jonathan and Rick. So folks, look, it comes down to your personal daily decision. How am I going to view today and my experiences? What did yesterday's experiences carry over with me today? What am I carrying from yesterday that I need to let go so I can replace it with thankfulness that we find in the Beatitudes. For Jonathan, Rick, and Todd and Christian Questions, we hope you enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back next week with another subject. But till then, be thankful. Think about it. And folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Are You a Mary or a Martha?